It's my pleasure to welcome uh, Dr. George Sumner, who is the principal of Wycliffe College uh, down at the U of T. We're wel we welcome him here. We're really pleased that he could come. We're a little sad that it has to be in these kinds of circumstances. Um, I need to explain to you that are visiting for the first time. This doesn't always happen, but um, what happened was my Anabaptist roots, my pacifist kind of background, was affronted by an email that I received when I, I, I'd heard that the Wycliffe and Tyndale were going to play floor hockey together. Uh, and I kind of got an email from a friend that said, in your face, not quite like that, but, but similar, in your face, whoever wins, either you or I will preach in the other person's uh, chapel uh, wearing a t-shirt. Now, being a Canadian and uh, George being from the States, from, but from Yale, I thought the Yale background would have been a little bit less competitive, but anyways, I emailed back, you're on, and if you lose, you have to prostrate yourself uh, before the pulpit before you come up, to which he agreed. And he's ready. He said, where do I do it? We're not going to actually make you do that. But the other part of the deal, George, was that you would wear a T-shirt from Tyndale as you preach. <laughs> It'll look good with the collar. That's good. Yeah. We're, oh, very nice. Um, we also want to give it to you uh, so you can keep the bags <laughs> so that you can store it so that you can store it away for your next year <laughs> when you come back to preach again we're looking forward to the annual George Sumner pilgrimage to Tyndale uh, and we uh, but we are glad you're here, George. There's a wonderful uh, friendship and uh, relationship between Wycliffe and Tyndale, and uh, this is just one of, although the competitive uh, juices were flowing, I do understand that our ho floor hockey team annihilated. Uh, I think they played with you for the first period, and then boom. It was, mind you, we had university students there, not just seminary students, so that wasn't quite fair because they have better breath than the older guys. That, uh, but anyway, welcome. We're glad you're here. And uh, we look forward to you as you speak the word to us today. Give him a hand. There you go. Right on. It's a delight to be here. I want to thank your president and my friend for the kind invitation and the hospitality of the chapel team. And I bring you the warm greetings of your brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ at Wycliffe College. And our passage from the Word of God this morning is from Romans 8, 31 to the end of the chapter. What then are we to say about these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not withhold his own son, but gave him up for all of us, will he not, 
will he not with him also give us everything else? Who will bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is, who is to condemn? It is Jesus Christ who died, yes, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed intercedes for us. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will hardship or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who has loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is the word of the Lord. And I... Speak to you in the name of God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. As I say, I am delighted to be here at Tyndall this morning. And I think in preaching, the place to start, as Gary said, is with honesty. So let's be clear why I am here. Am I here because I am the principal of your sibling evangelical school? No. Is it to speak about trends in theological education? No. About the mission of the gospel in Toronto? No. My own conversion testimony? Nope. None of these. I am here this morning because I am a loser. (laughs) If only, if only my 16-year-old son were here to listen to me now, how it would delight him. Several years ago, When I would win at squash, I would go home feeling proud of myself, though I get a handicap from younger students. My son would shake his head sadly and say, Dad, even when you win, you know you really are a loser. (laughs) A decade ago, I wrote an introduction to the Christian faith through reflection on famous hymns co-written with my friend and former academic dean at Tyndall, Jeff Greenman. The premise of the book is that the whole of the Christian life and faith is about victory. Put the saving death of Jesus Christ, His and the Father's victory over sin and death at the center of everything you think and do. To be sure it was an odd victory, looking to the world and feeling to the lonely son like a defeat. Then let that victory radiate out into everything else we believe. The church is God's victory over race and power. Creation is God's victory over chaos and night. The resurrection is God's victory here and now over anything the future and the powers and principalities might throw at you. In spite of all his troubles, Paul is saying exactly that to you and me this morning in our reading from Romans chapter 8. The risen Christ owns the future, and he has loaned its victory to you, and nothing can remove it. Live and minister with that victory as your first premise. 
live with what the reformers called the freedom of the Christian. Free to try things and fail. Free of ultimate fear, although you and I live amidst lots of fearsome things. All of this is good news, that we are more than conquerors, says Paul. Especially for us in all of the losing that life hands to us from time to time. So I can win, but my win pales in comparison. I can lose, but my loss is not the last word. That is what Paul has to tell us this morning, and this would be Tyndall Chapel's shortest sermon. But our professor of Reformation, David Dempson, likes to tell a story about the great Reformed theologian Karl Barth. Bart was an avid pipe smoker, and one student tried to challenge him and talk him out of it. The student said, Drown the old man, Dr. Bart. To which Bart responded, I have drowned him, but the little fellow can swim. <laughs> this is why, in my own Christian life, reading Martin Luther was so helpful to me in coming to terms with how unredeemed. This world looks, and I often felt. For Luther understood profoundly how, though you and I live inside the victory of Jesus, the old man is still there, his days numbered to be sure. You and I live between the times. We are at once justified, our true selves in the victory of Jesus Christ, and also sinners. The day dawns, but the shadows remain. So we live in the great victory, but for now, we still like to win. And the corollary is that you and I are liable to be losers. In this vein, let me tell you one more story. Just this past week, I was at a discussion of an interesting doctor of ministry thesis. Our student is studying adolescence and social scientifically how going to church lowers certain destructive behavioral indicators. But it turns out that sports clubs equally produce those good scores. Why so? The speculation was that exercise is good for your body image, true. It got kids outside and they felt a part of creation, true. It releases endorphins in your brain, also true. One of the commentators quoted Eric Liddell of Chariots of Fire fame, who spoke of feeling God's pleasure in him when he ran. But what the students commenting didn't mention was something self-evident to me as I watch my 16-year-old Christian athlete son play tennis, and that is aggression. It is an arena in which my son gets to fight a war, a war that is jolly and no one gets killed. He maneuvers his opponent around and then hitting that ball hard down the line for a winner. That is not just about exercise. It is not just a Sunday stroll. 
It is about the fire of seeking triumph. And that means defeating that guy on the other side of the net. Now, I hope he is learning to honor the rules. And I believe he plays as a gentleman. And he needs to learn to lose with grace. And he does pray afterwards together with his, an opponent, a Christian opponent as athletes in action might do. Just the same, we are talking on the court about competition to win and lose. He wants to take the ball down the line and beat you. And winning and losing is in common with the Gentiles, the seculars. So let's face it. To compete for that hour on that court, it is a piece of turf that we have inherited from those pagan Greeks and their Olympics. The little fellow can swim. How does all that work? I might add, it isn't just on the soccer field or the tennis court that we find this to be true. You may have noticed as you work in the church that there is a touch of competition and scorekeeping there as well. The psychologists call it sublimation. The New Testament calls it taking the gifts captive. St. Augustine referred back to the book of Exodus, and he said it was despoiling the Egyptians. We are talking not about rejecting what is pre-Christian inside of us, but taking it over as Christians in a new way. What I mean is that competition, what the Greeks called the agon, the struggle, it can find a place in the Christian life too. I might add that our entire economic system is supposed to be about taking in the pagan agon, the struggle of competition and transforming it. Although I have my days when I'm not sure, but that league might not be a touch rigged. That's a subject for another sermon and maybe an ethics course. If we are indeed between the times, then there is an ongoing spiritual discernment to be made. And you who are to be Christian leaders will need to help people make it. On the one hand, is this competition in question uninfiltrated by Christian virtues? And is it therefore suspect? Or is it a place where there can be a witness? Or is it a valid concession to the fact that we live in the in-between times? We creatures are redeemed Gentiles on the way to the kingdom. Is it a useful pressure release valve for God's pilgrim people? For when we pretend that we are already altogether in the kingdom, sooner or later competition and aggression come squirting out the side. Where we deny that we have these, where we think that all is placid in the congregation, along comes some annual church meeting and we get blindsided by resentment hitting us like a 340-pound defensive lineman. For those of you who are church history buffs, you may know that the, there was a debate about sports particularly sports on the Lord's Day, 
It was a bone of contention between the Puritans and the Anglicans in 17th century England on their way to Oliver Cromwell. The Puritans said that such battles were of this world and Sunday should be devoted to rest and the word. And the Anglicans said that even these worldly urges for victory could be brought before God as an offering. And they were both right. The key concept here is play, where individuals and societies work out those urges, not for real, but on display, where those urges are discharged and enjoyed before God without being taken too seriously. We offer before God our games, and the point of a game is that it isn't real. It's offloaded. It's taken up into pageantry. Although, as another aside, I sometimes wonder if the big business of the Super Bowl is play any longer. I leave that to another sermon, too. The Puritans and Anglicans had a dispute which was around an agreement that competition can become godly play, though they disagreed about the necessary guidelines to make sure it was transformed. So let's go back to Romans 8 for a moment. The games that Paul knew in his world, they were full of the invocation of pagan gods, the lust for actual blood, and the arrogance of the empire. There was little sublimation, and there was no transformation. But the potential for such culture work is already to be found in what Paul has to say. We will note that in the wake of the victory of Jesus Christ, he still talks about powers and principalities. They aren't gone. They still exist. The world still has a structure. The change is that they aren't meant to rule anything now. They need to bow down, although they often don't. So creatures need to turn, be converted, acknowledge how things really are now under the lordship of Jesus Christ. But the ongoing structure of things is not wiped out. It will be renewed, for God intends a new creation which is a creation nonetheless. The old life is not simply erased. And so the play of the Gentiles is maintained, not of the sinful sort that they have known since the fall. All this means that there is indeed and should be such a thing as godly play. The Gentiles inherit a structure suited to playing out their struggles and their stories in mime, and celebration before the Lord. You can see how closely related a theology of play is to a theology of enculturation, which takes you on a beeline to mission. You show me a traditional cultural celebration, and I will show you, if we fish around enough, underpinnings that have something to do with the old life, with the pagan story. This Christmas I was in Hanoi and I enjoyed watching a performance of Vietnamese water puppets, a proud part of Viet culture. But if you were to peruse the stories that they told, 
pagan and Hindu and Buddhist influences are all there galore. We can multiply the examples. Both missiology and play are all about taking gifts captive. And that means leaving room for new and changed expressions. This doesn't mean that all expressions are justified. Sometimes the Christian just has to say no. We are talking about discernment. The gifts have to be taken captive. There's a new Christian way to win and lose. I myself was ordained in central Tanzania, and in the beginning of my ministry, I taught in an evangelical theological college there. I loved their amazing music. And as a new missionary, I arranged when I had to lead a quiet day to have my meditations accompanied by the marimba. But one of our students came to me quietly and told me I mustn't do that. Was that because he rejected his culture? No, he was totally immersed in his culture. And for that reason, he could feel the valence that things had. The student said to me, I come from the old life. The marimba was played in order to make the spirits dance. The marimba, it was not godly play. It was still spiritual warfare. No matter where you live, telling the difference is one of the jobs of the Christian leader, each of whom must be a missiologist. So much of the Christian life in between the times has to do with putting things in the right order, getting first things first, and by God's grace, keeping them there. Think of how much of the Bible is about just that. Food is just food, says Paul, but not when it becomes a stumbling block. Creaturely gifts are to be appreciated, but as soon as they are the main things, they are idolatry. Admitting that death is scary is honesty psychologically, but at, one, at some point it becomes bowing down to the last enemy. When are we to obey the secular powers given by God, and when should we talk back to the tall trees of Lebanon? When do we give the little fellow some space to swim for a time before the Lord, and when do we realize that he's calling the shots? Where does play find its place in a modest suburb of the outskirts of the city of God, the outskirts of our hearts? You and I, we will try, we will get it wrong because we are justified sinners. We will try again. We will not despair. We will not be swallowed up by our aggression because nothing can separate us finally from the victorious love of God in the crucified and risen Jesus Christ. So I am here this morning as a Christian loser. And your president, Gary, is a Christian gentleman. He restrained the obvious impulse to perform the Deion Sanders end zone dance after the Wycliffe-Tyndall ball hockey game. And he limited himself to a smile. May the games continue on to next year underneath the parameter of the final loss and victory, who is Jesus Christ. Amen. The Lord be with you.
Father, we give thanks for this place. We give thanks for all who teach and learn and support this place. We give thanks that all of its teaching and learning and acting takes place within the, within the parameter of the victory of your Son, Jesus Christ. Pray for your blessing on all here. We pray that this day your peace, which passes all understanding, would be in each of our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.